Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I'm the traffic anchor of Denver 7 News, Jason Luber, and looky who we have here today. That's right, he's back. I would I would give you a round of applause if I had that sound effect a handy, but I don't. It's Joseph. What's up, buddy? How are you? Oh. Nightside executive producer, pedestrian advocate, car transformative, car car convert, I guess is what you would call me. Is that what you are? So now you're no longer a pedestrian advocate or you're still the pedestrian advocate? Can you be a pedestrian advocate if you've driven a car exclusively for a year straight? Probably I don't think not. you can. No, you probably can I can try. The people Fake who are... advocate. Yeah, the people who are really into being a pedestrian advocate would not allow you to ever drive a car and still be a pedestrian advocate at the same time. Well, I'll tell you what, man. Driving is very stressful. I did not realize how much... It's the difference between going from 40 minutes every day of something I'm very good at, objectively, which is walking, to 40 minutes a day (laughs) of something I'm objectively bad at, which is driving. And, uh, and, you know, it's it's a bad trade for me every day in my mental health. Well, you know, it is uh, it is a trade, but now you're living in the suburbs. You're uh, are you working from home most of the part most of the time, or or are you uh, going to the station? Working from home most of the time, a lot of quality time with my child. We actually we were going to start Elliot in day, daycare at six months, which would be August, and we have pushed it all the way back to like the end of the year, just because I'm going to be working from home for so long. There's no reason. There's no reason for me to be apart from the child if I'm just going to be home anyway. Oh, right? you should push that back forever. Um, be with the yes. child. You want to be with the child? If you want a child, mm-hmm. then have a child and be with the child. Don't send the child yes. to you know somebody else. Uh, you know, I'm, how is the child? How is Elliot? Elliot is uh, the most beautiful baby boy on the planet. Of course. That's all I can say. Yeah. And, and I'm just giving you this because you know it's going to happen. And it maybe we're far enough away from the whole E.T. thing, but I, I still think he's going to get E.T. jokes. Good. Good. I'm, you know what? I'm glad. If that happens, I'm glad. It means that this generation has seen E.T. and is cultured. We may watch E.T. tonight just so we can get caught back up on all those jokes and start see, giving them to Elliot right away. See, you might as well start you know, teasing him now before he's I even won. That. Perfect. All right. So a little later in the show, we're going to have an interview about the possibility of your car and if it can be hacked. I spoke with a security uh, cybersecurity expert. His name is Rob Davis. Rob is the CEO and founder of the cybersecurity company called Critical Start. And I talked to him, and it's a pretty interesting topic, and I think you're going to find the discussion interesting as well. That'll be coming up in just a bit. But Joseph, first, I, I want to go to Florida for a couple of stories. One, it, it, one story doesn't get really much more Florida than this. An elderly couple in, Pencil, in, in Pensacola they held up traffic over a causeway bridge. And if you know the causeway bridges there in Florida going to some of the barrier islands, it, there's usually only just one lane in and one lane out. And if you're blocking that lane, you're holding up traffic for everybody. Well, this couple, elderly, in Pensacola, they were uh, driving across the causeway bridge, and they were heading for the beach by riding their electric scooters in the middle of the road. No, no. <laughs> yep. They were, and they were riding side by side as to block the only lane of traffic over that bridge. And the person that was following them was filming this whole thing on his cell phone and then making, well, uh, a commentary that I can't play on this podcast or really just about anyone that doesn't have an R rating to it. Um, he, he was being a- angry commentary. Oh, very angry commentary. Yes. Uh, in Florida, technically, you're actually not required to have a driver's license to drive a scooter, 
but you're also not allowed to drive the scooter on a sidewalk. So that's why they were in the road and not on the little tiny sidewalk on the bridge. Most of the bridges, they don't really have a sidewalk anyway. Can you, when you say electric scooter, we're not talking about like a lime scooter and we're no. not talking about like the little putt putt motorcycles that get you around a city. We're talking no. about like a rascal. Yes, the little rascal. The little <laughs> rascal that would carry old people yes. uh, around the grocery store without the basket. Beautiful. Yes. That's how fast those things don't go very fast, man. My no. grandmother's rascal developed a mind of its own at Six Flags one time and like just went at max speed shooting down an alleyway full of people. See? It was the most terrifying experience of my life at 11 years old. Max speed is 11 miles an hour. Yep. And they were going down oh, the man. causeway at 11 miles an hour on their little rascals. Yep. Same thing you would find in the Publix there in Florida. Exactly right. <laughs> America's yep. retirement home people. Yeah. And, and the, the guy who recorded that, that couple, he, he was stunned and obviously also frustrated. And eventually on the other side of the bridge, the couple, they pulled over, got out of the road and everybody went about their merry way. So there you have it. All right, also in Florida. I can't believe it took them that long. Oh, yeah, it did. It took them a long time. Uh, Also in Florida, in Winter Haven, Florida, where a woman was arrested after she called 911 four times asking for a ride to another city. Four times she called the police asking for help to give her her ride to another city. The first time 31-year-old Sarah Alma called 911, it was 2.45 in the morning. And she said, hello, before hanging up. And then officers went to that location because it was just a, a, a hang-up. So they'll go check it out to make sure she's okay. Uh, and, and they went to the location of the call. They didn't really find anybody there, so they, so they went about their business. She made the second call 15 minutes later at 3 a.m., and the call disconnected. So the officers came back. They found Sarah in a hospital parking lot, and she told them at that point that she had called and that she needed a ride. She didn't say where she needed a ride to, but that she just needed a ride. So the officer said, look, Sarah, 911 is is for emergency calls only. You're going to have to leave the the hospital area here. If you you don't have business or or need medical help, you're going to have to go away and stop calling us. Well, Sarah walked away, but she found a phone and she called 911 a third time. This time to complain about the officer, how he didn't give her a ride and the service she needed which she said was a taxpayer-sponsored taxi ride. Officers then obviously went back to see Sarah, and officers told her at that point, look, you cannot call 911 again unless you have an actual emergency. So just don't do it. But she again called for the fourth time, and that's when she was finally given her free taxpayer-sponsored ride all the way to the Polk County Jail to be charged with one count of misuse of nine one one, yay! Congratulations, Sarah. So okay, layers here, right? First of all, jail. Oh jail. yeah, yeah. That's where she wow. went. She she did not end up going to wherever she wanted to go. She ended up going to jail. Second of all, so she was in a hospital parking lot trying to get a ride somewhere to somewhere. Right? Yes. How did she end up in the hospital? So this is a this is a. This is terrifying oh, yeah. for years. The idea that I will get dropped off at a hospital with no identification, no way to pay for anything, needing to go anywhere, 
and no way to do it except my own two feet, right? In that situation, I could see myself also calling 911 and saying, can't you just please get me from point A to point B, like at least back to my house, right? Well, they did get her somewhere from point A to point B. It's just the point B is not where she wanted to go. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. Also, in a situation where you're under pressure and you have to call a phone number that you have memorized to get help, 911 is right, like your only option, right? Well, why wouldn't she call, I don't know, anybody else? Anybody Does else. she have anybody else's number memorized? I don't, I don't know. I have no Do idea. Do you have anybody else's number memorized? My wife. I have my wife, too. That's it. That's the only one I would be able to call yeah, with I, any reliability. I, I think I know the first three digits of my father-in-law's phone number. Um, That's impressive. I... I can still remember my high school or my high school, my, 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 uh, home number when I was a kid, uh, back in Michigan, three, five, five, uh, oh, nine, oh, nine. Do you ever call it just to see who's there? No, I don't, but I guess I should. And you know, the worst thing about that number is that we had the rotary phones at that point, right? We didn't have the push button. So you're, you have the last four digits of oh, nine, oh, nine, and you mess that up all the time. It was the worst. Nine nine oh nine nine oh nine nine. And you're just nine nine oh nine. It's and you just miss it by a little bit, and you're like, I got to redo the whole thing. Now you didn't have to do the 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 first part of the the first three you know area code. You would just do the the seven digits at that point. But still, it was it was a real pain. That's terrible. So mine's 603-444-7793. If any of our enterprising listeners want to go ahead and give that one a ring and see who's still there. <laughs> maybe maybe it's like the uh, uh, the thing where kids are doing now and they dial the number that is one up or one down from them on their cell phone, their cell phone number neighbor. Interesting. And I like that. Okay. Have you also seen the TikTok smashing bag challenge? This is tangentially traffic related. I have not. Uh, You know, TikTok is an interesting platform, I I must say. Okay. So the smashing bag challenge, let's say I'm in the driver's seat and you're in the passenger seat, right? I have my dash camera filming. What I do is I go into the back seat, like I'm grabbing a bag. And I pull that bag up to the front seat. And as I pull it up, I smack you in the back of the head with it. <laughs> okay. And then when you react and say something, I put it back and slap you in the face <laughs> even harder. <laughs> okay. It's the worst thing on the planet. But you watch these videos, and you just get addicted to them. It's just people getting hit in the face over and over again, Jason. You know, the problem with uh, me and doing a, any kind of social media stuff like that is I'm not that creative uh, and I'm not that funny. Um, I think I'm kind of funny, but I'm not. uh, And maybe this is it. Maybe I'm just not willing to put the time and effort and energy into something like that, that uh, that would then be funny because there's a lot of funny people out there. And and I don't think I would compete. Well, here's the thing that I'm not funny enough. I take that back. I'm hysterical. I'm funny (laughs) enough to follow other people's challenges. What I'm not funny enough to do or popular enough to do by any stretch of the imagination is spearhead my own challenge. That's just never going to happen. Right. I can't, I can't create Joseph's smashing bag challenge and make that catch on, but I can certainly make my own smashing bag video and get a few hundred watches. Yeah. You might be able to. And then what are you going to do when you get the few hundred watches? Uh, you know, hopefully use the seven cents and royalties to buy like a Tootsie roll for my wife. who will be very mad at me for hitting her in the face with a bag. over and over again. <laughs> Well, Whatever makes her happy, I suppose. 
There you go. Whatever makes you happy. All right, this week on my TV segment of Driving You Crazy, I answered this question from Charlie in Longmont. And Charlie writes, what's driving you crazy? Recap uh, tire treads coming off of big rig trailers. They cause damage to other vehicles and crashes. They have a steel cord running through them. Very dangerous. Buy new tires. Charlie was very upset about this whole thing. So I answered Charlie this way. I said, your concern, Charlie, is valid, even though the risk of hitting a piece of retread is very, very low. There's real danger if a vehicle collides with a piece of rubber part from a retread, and that impact can cause significant damage to a vehicle. And by the way, there's a fun fact. Uh, those pieces of retread tires that come off of a uh, tire uh, and they're sitting on the road, they're actually called road gators because the tread looks like the back of an alligator. And, it's and act- if you put, get your foot caught in one, it'll bite you, right? Uh, maybe. It might just stab you and then you'll have to go get make sure you have your uh, updated tetanus shots. Uh, it has happened go. to me. And, it, and it's and it's quite startling. I, I remember I was driving here one time, and a piece of tire tread came across the windshield, hit the uh, my driver's side side mirror, and actually put this big uh, black mark all across it. Didn't really do much other damage to it, but it was quite startling. And I was an, another time it happened. I was actually in Florida, driving on I ninety five south of Jacksonville. I was in the, it was behind a semi, but I was one lane over just to the left of a semi that was just up ahead of me. And I could hear the tire on that trailer blow out and actually felt the impact as a chunk of that tire hit the car where the windshield meets the front door. I mean, right there at the front of the, of the car, right there on the front left side. And it was startling. I immediately moved over out of that lane and cause I, I knew that the rest of the tire was going to shred and just start flying off. And I slowed down um, to avoid those other bigger pieces. I pulled over, checked out the car, no significant damage, and, and uh, I was lucky. But many other drivers aren't as lucky as I was on that day. Because according to the AAA Foundation, more than 200,000 crashes have been blamed on all kinds of road debris, some of which is the tire tread or blown out recap tires. Now, a retread or a recap, if, if you don't really know, it's a process that replaces the just the tread part of a shell of a worn out tire with a new tread it actually posted a video it's a pretty interesting video of the entire retread process it's pretty interesting to watch that whole process happen they're more prone to coming apart or shredding right that's that's part of the issue with them the retreads have that ability because they're they are adhered to an old tire and through that process, there can be instances where just the shredded uh, or just the uh, the retread will shred off that tire, and then that's the big pieces that you see on the side of the highway. And you don't want to run into one of those. That that can really tear Absolutely up a little not. car. Mm-hmm. So the trucking industry mostly uses these retreads. Other vehicles, like you can see them on mail truck uh, deliveries, uh, delivery trucks, uh, commercial and military aircraft, emergency service vehicles like ambulances and fire trucks, they use them too. And the estimate from a tire uh, capping company is that almost half of all replacement truck tires are retreads because they're basically half of what a new tire would cost. And you're getting basically two for one. And when you have a trailer that has eight tires on it and you're paying two for one, bingo, that's why they want to do it. 
Well, and that, that adds up really quickly when you're talking about a huge fleet, right? You're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars of savings every year. Probably. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, according to Tread White, Tread Right Tires, this is all part in my in my story. The big myth, they say, the big myth of retreaded tires being unsafe is not true. They said studies from both state and federal bodies have shown that most tire failures are caused by vehicles being either overloaded or tires being underinflated. And there's almost no difference in the rate of issues and accidents being caused by retreads or new tires. That's from them. I put that in the story. And I also put this part in the story. According to CrashForensics.com, Retread failures are misunderstood. The common perception is that retreads have adhesion-related problems that result in the loss of tread from the tire casing. The real concern, they say, with retreads is related to the condition of the casing. The reliability of the tread relates primarily to the ability to inspect the tire casing and determine if any defects exist. Tire defects can be hidden underneath the components there of the tire and thereby uh, making it very difficult to discover during a retread inspection. When I was looking at that retread video, they actually try to inspect the tires, the shell, if you will, before they put the retread on there. And it, uh, they do go through a process, but they obviously could, could miss some stuff. Well, what they're saying basically is that the retread is not the issue, right? The retread is not causing the crashes. It's just when these crashes happen, the retread's more likely to and leave debris in the road. Yeah. Yeah. Even so, this is what I said in my piece. Even so, we have seen the remnants of these retreads, sometimes dangerously laying in lanes of traffic, because no matter why the retread blows out or the tread comes off the shell, if it's on the road, it's a problem. And if you hit it with your little car, it's going to be a really big problem. And I said there isn't concrete data to show what percentage tire treads makes up of road debris, but according to AAA, about two-thirds of debris-related crashes are a result of items falling off of or out of a vehicle and vehicles due to improper maintenance and unsecured loads. The most common types of roadway debris, AAA says, are parts that come from a vehicle, whatever the part might be, unsecured cargo like furniture, appliances, whatever, that might fall out of a pickup truck or uh, a trailer, uh, and a tow trailer becoming separated and hitting other vehicles or landing on the roadway. Now, I said the number of times that a tire goes round and round really isn't always the issue with retreads. Tire age is just as important to, to, uh, to know how well the tire is actually going to perform under certain conditions. And I kept going on and on in my story about all of these different facts and, and things. Uh, and, and I finished out the story saying, if unfortunately you hit a chunk of tire or tire tread or any kind of road debris, who covers the damage depending uh, who covers the damage depends on who if you can prove where that debris came from. So in my instance, if I could prove that I hit that that tire tread hit my car, caused damage, and I can prove that I saw it coming off of this trailer and this truck, then that person would be liable for it. But if I'm just driving down the road and I hit something, then that's just an act of road damage and my insurance has to pay for it. Um, and as I usually do, After I post stories like this, I receive emails from people, and I often receive emails from industry-related people, and there was no uh, exception to this story. So I was sent an email from David Stevens, 
and David is the managing director for the Tire Retread and Repair Information Bureau. David writes, Hi Jason, I just read your article on the dangers of retread tires on our highways and ask that you amend the article with correct information about retreading, which is an environmentally friendly, safe, reliable, and economically viable solution for the transportation industry. See, he can say that because he's an advocate. He works for them. Mm-hmm. That's what yep, he gets paid yep. to do. Well, and you get paid as a journalist to say certain things back to him when he says that, right? Exactly. I'm not pro or con on retreads. I am just facts on retreads, and I'm giving you information both sides so then you can make your own decision. So David continues. The main point you missed and misled your readers on this If you removed every retread tire in operation from the roads today, you would not reduce the amount of tire debris on the highways. NHTSA, the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration, for you folks not in acronyms, uh, acronym, acronym, acronyms, uh, you know. Nailed it. Thanks. That's Uh, the one, acronyms. (laughs) (laughs) They completed a comprehensive commercial tire debris study in 2008 in which they analyzed almost 1,500 tires and tire debris from our highways to determine what caused the failure or removal from service. Their overall study conclusion is basically when tires do fail, new and retreaded tires fail in equal proportions, and those failures have nothing to do with the retreading or manufacturing process. Tires, both new and retreaded, fail because they run over debris already on the highway, They are run underinflated or overloaded, leading to heat buildup that can lead to tire failures, or they were improperly maintained or had other operational issues. The full study, along with multiple other studies confirming the same results, can be viewed on our website. We also have a short video addressing this misconception about rubber on the roads, which you are helping to spread to your readers. Bingo. I'm helping to spread misinformation, by the way. Where was the misinformation? Because the first thing he said was something that you said, and the second thing that he said was not accurate. Uh, yeah, that's that's the that's the whole thing. It's it's not misleading to offer other opinions in a news article, and that's in fact what I I did, and I was obligated to do, and I offered other opinions to the reader to make up their own mind. I. Uh, did that with uh, several other citations that I put in my article. And I actually took that clip of what he sent me and then inserted it, added it to my article to give another opinion of somebody who is obviously with the industry and, uh, and let the viewers then make up their mind. So it's not misleading for, for me to offer opinions. It's not my opinion. And each time I, I cited somebody... I put their citations in there. Well, all right. See, David, I think, is under the misimpression, under the impression that, that I'm supposed to be an advocate for his industry. And, and I'm not. I'm an advocate for the truth and, pre- and presenting all sides of an issue. All right, so David continues. He says, retreaded tires are used safely every day on commercial aircraft, school buses, emergency vehicles, postal vehicles, and the entire commercial trucking industry. I mentioned all of that in my article. In addition to being a technically sophisticated industry, we are one of the most environmentally friendly industries in the world, saving millions of gallons of oil, reducing the use of natural resources and steel, as well as keeping millions of tires out of a landfill. 
I am happy to discuss any of these issues further, and there's plenty of information on our website explaining the truth about retreaded tires. The truth. Please don't continue to... me nuts about this. It's, it's all true. Everything was true. What you said was true. What he said was true. The thing that he disagreed with was true. He just disagreed with it. Like, it's all good information, and it's all stuff that our readers should want to know about. Exactly. He then he concluded by saying, please don't continue to spread misconceptions about this amazing industry. Regards, David Stevens. Okay. So, so there you go. Amazing industry. Yeah. They're the, tires. Yeah. <laughs> But that's the thing, is that he obviously is a advocate for the retreaded tire industry, and he wants to sell, at least have the companies that uh, send money to his uh, advocacy group, uh, sell more of these retreaded tires and say that they're safe and everything's great, and if you think that they're dangerous, well, they're not, and we're going to prove it. Well, in like the, the last point that he made, saying that it's not necessarily, it, it's... Um... It's environmentally friendly, right? This is much better for the environment to retread tires than to create an entirely new tire, which requires you to create plastic out of oil and ultimately is going to be wasteful, right? Wasteful, quote unquote. Right. Um, that's a very good point. And it's something that we sh we didn't even bring up in our conversation. It's certainly worth mentioning when you do talk about retreaded tires, right? This is a huge boon to environmentalists and people who say that we need to be reducing our overall carbon footprint. That's a good thing. Uh, doesn't change the fact that this stuff comes off easier when it <laughs> when it gets popped. Right, like that's that is also a valid point. Like, and it seems like we have the scientific evidence to back that up. In addition to everything else that we're talking about, I know it doesn't seem like they want to admit that any uh, retreaded tire has ever or will ever shred, pop, leave debris on the roadway, and that it's only new tires that do that. No, it's it's yeah, new tires will do it, as will retreaded tires do it. The answer, or the, the the whole article, came from an answer to a question that was uh, stated by somebody, stated by somebody else, a viewer, who thinks that retreaded tires are extremely dangerous and uh, caused him obviously some kind of issue. And all I did was answer the question by giving lots of points of view, including now yep. David's points of view, which I added to the uh, the original article. And extremely dangerous is, I mean, that's ludicrous, right? They're no more dangerous than any other tires. I think that's the point that David's trying to make. They're just tires. Maybe maybe we should uh, invite him on the show. Maybe we should have an interview with him for next week. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, um, yeah, I need to uh, respond back to him and let him know that I uh, included him into the article. And then uh, maybe I'll invite him onto the show next week, and that'd be a good way to, to handle it. Uh, speaking of interesting topics and, and guests here on the show, you know we're living in a world of smartphones and smart homes and smart cars. When these things are connected to the Internet, there is the possibility they could be hacked. Now researchers are even finding vulnerabilities in our vehicles, including the ability to remotely control your car sounds kind of out there, doesn't it? Well, joining me now to talk more about this possibility is cybersecurity expert Rob Davis. Rob is the CEO and founder of the cybersecurity company called Critical Start. Mr. Davis has more than 20 years of experience in information security and is also a veteran of the U.S. Navy. Rob, thanks for your service, and also thank you for being here on the Driving You Crazy podcast. Yeah, uh, you're welcome, Jason. So we've heard of hackers getting into databases of big companies. And usually they do that to steal our password data and then they'll sell it on, on the internet. But rarely 
Have we heard of hackers getting into our smart speakers or connected homes? I'm sure it happens to a to a small extent. But but what are they doing? Just changing the setting on my thermostat? I mean, before we talk really about hacking our cars, is hacking a person at their home really something that we should worry about? So you look at uh, hacking a person at your home, there are several instances where it could be uh, actually malicious. I mean, simple example is think about like, uh, you know, ring cameras uh, that you have. So in my house, I have ring cameras that uh, surround my entire household. So everything uh, exterior is visible. I feel sorry for my kids who can't sneak out of the house at all because if they do, they'll get caught. But when you look at systems like that that are connected to the internet, you know, it would give a potential, uh, you know, thief the ability to determine, are you, uh, is anyone home? Maybe the ability to disarm a system and stop alerts from contacting the police. So just simple example like that, in a truly connected smart home, you could verify the homeowner is not present. You could unlock uh, um, the door, maybe open the garage and have complete access, uh, you know, to the house. Do you think the average criminal is doing that sort of thing, or is it a sophisticated person that would have to know how to do all of this and then break into your house? It seems like a lot of effort and a lot of knowledge just to steal your TV. Uh, Exactly. So that's something that's more of, I think, a theoretical possibility. Uh, If someone has the ability to circumvent a system using vulnerabilities, they're not probably spending that time and effort to uh, steal a TV, which uh, once you go pocket at the pawn shop, you're getting pennies on the dollar. I mean, uh, that expertise is better spent uh, stealing credit card data, uh, executing ransomware attacks, uh, you know, maybe even espionage uh, against corporations. The simple example uh, of someone actually be able to uh, perpetrate an attack like that would be, uh, you know, just guessing a, a poorly um, uh, saved password, a, a password that wasn't secure, and guessing a password and using that to access the system the same way the homeowner might. So obviously, newer cars, because we're talking about cars being connected to the internet, the newer cars are very connected. Now, before we talk about uh, that it, you know, if if the car is an older car, like I have a a 2013 uh, Lexus, my wife drives, and I have a 2014 Chevy Volt that I drive. Is there really a threat to a hacker getting into the software of my car and taking it over to change the settings? If the a car doesn't have any remote connectivity, then uh, someone getting access to the car remotely is not possible. I mean, it's going to be some mechanism for remote communication. Uh, uh, from the attacker to the vehicle. If you look at the older cars, uh, there could be some uh, type of attack that could be carried out by someone physically accessing the car, maybe changing the, the firmware or, or software in an attack like that. But so it would be uh, very difficult. And anything that requires a physical access, while that's easier to uh, perpetrate an attack, uh, it makes it much more dangerous because anytime you physically have to get access to something, then there's an evidence trail. I mean, there's cameras, uh, people might catch you. It becomes a, a far riskier transaction. Uh, the reason that uh, cyber uh, attacks have increased so much is it's very difficult to determine who perpetrated an attack. So there's a degree of anonymity uh, to those types of attacks and they can be executed remotely. 
And in, in most cases, people aren't going to follow those up. They're very difficult to prosecute. I think the only thing my Chevy Volt does automatically is what it, I used to have the OnStar when I first bought the car. It uh, will automatically change the clock for daylight savings. So I don't really think I, I wouldn't consider that really connected to uh, the Internet. Uh, but, you know, to that example, I have a you know Tesla Model 3, which is a car that is very connected to the Internet. It's always on. Um, uses my phone to unlock and start the car. It uh, has a mobile app, which is accessed using a username and password that allows me to control the temperature, uh, remotely start the car, remotely unlock the car, has complete access to uh, where the car's location is at, at all times. So there's a lot of information available in that example, uh, you know, that uh, very much make that a, a threat for uh, different types of activity. I'm speaking with Critical Start founder and CEO Rob Davis about how easy it is for someone to hack into your car. And in your example about your Tesla Model 3, obviously, as you just said, it is a higher-end car that is connected to the Internet in so many ways. So how would a hacker actually get into and break into your car? So if you look at uh, cars, uh, Tesla has that, but also you know, General Motors has OnStar. Uh, Toyota has Safety Connect. Uh, Ford has sync. So every manufacturer now is looking at um, being connected. It's a, a feature that's going to be required when you buy cars. And also, you know, over there, your updates. If you look at the kind of Ford F-150, that's one of the, the key features coming out in the new model is the ability to do over the year updates, uh, like what Tesla already has. And that'll become uh, very commonplace. But in all of these cars now, there's, you know, uh, probably 70 or more electronic control units, uh, you know, different networks inside the car. Uh, they're connected with either Wi-Fi uh, or some type of you know, 4G or, or 5G that'll allow that remote access. So your car now is a computer. When you're looking at the Tesla Model 3, it's a Linux operating system that runs the entire car. And different sensors and uh, uh, control units are connected um, to that. And you know, when you look at that, um, all of these different components have a firmware, essentially millions of lines of code. And when you look at uh, the connected cars of the day and uh, tomorrow, you have million lines of code written by people. And last time I checked, people make mistakes. Uh, so that means, you know, currently there are, you know, uh, I think factually unknown vulnerabilities that could be exploited. Now, exploiting those takes a lot of expertise, but, uh, you know, it's already been proven that's possible, you know, as far back as 2013. So would somebody then sit outside your house or let's say you're at the grocery store and you're parked in one of the spaces just as you were going into the store to go uh, grab some bread and milk um, and somebody is trying to hack into your car at that point? Is that is that how the system would work? Well, if you're connected via, via uh, Wi-Fi or uh, via uh, 4G, then the person could be anywhere. Uh, any place where there's internet connectivity, uh, they're theoretically able to uh, access your car. I mean, so simple example, using my Tesla Model 3, uh, there's an app. And I could be in California. Uh, my car could be in Dallas, Texas. And let's say my wife wanted to hey, get something out of my car. I could log into my mobile app in California, thousands of miles away, and unlock um, the car for her. I could allow her to start the car and drive it off. Now, that's obviously... Uh, acceptable use of that. But if someone can get access either by guessing a password or by a vulnerability um, in the car or the mobile apps used to control the car, then they could do a variety of things uh, to steal the car, uh, know the location of it. It becomes very easy. 
So is that why somebody would want to hack into your car is then to steal it or just uh, or or do some other kind of ill intent? Because if I'm just a regular Joe and I'm just this regular guy going uh, wherever and I have a have, let's say, a Tesla Model 3 or another smart smart car, I'm, I'm not the CEO of a big deal company. Um, is this something that really I or, or any of our listeners should really worry about? Or is this something that only people like Elon Musk or maybe yourself uh, should worry about? Well, I think there's uh, so a variety of factors. Uh, so first is just authorized uh, physical access to the vehicle. I mean, so very simple. I mean, the ability to steal a car right? uh, or to uh, get access to contents. Now, uh, probably stealing a car is it more likely. So, you know, think about the ability if you're going to steal a car to do it without incurring any damage to the vehicle or leaving behind any physical evidence, um, you know, that you stole uh, the vehicle. Now, if you're just going to steal something inside the car, and that's your motivation, probably easier to break a window than, you know, actually uh, hack into the car. But for stealing car becomes a, a very viable uh, mechanism, potentially. Uh, second is, um, you know, the ability to get, uh, you know, personal identifiable information, uh, camera videos, location history. So, you know, think about the ability for an attacker to get access to all that information. So just, you know, uh, if you look at Tesla as an example, and as you have more cars that have either, uh, self-driving or some version approaching self-driving, then all of those cameras recording nonstop. Uh, so you have access to all that information, which could be interesting uh, for some individuals. Uh, you could also, you know, um, for some situations, you know, hijack the vehicle systems for some, some malicious activity. Uh, so if you look at a show on Amazon Prime called Upload, it actually right, shows yeah. the protagonist of the show being murdered by a self-driving car. Um, I know I was watching know. that episode. I was watching one of those episodes, and I think it was that one where it was in a uh, self-driving mode, or it was uh, override. I think it was the um, passenger override mode, where you could do a mix between the two. And and I'm I, I'm fascinated about how we are going to go from how we're driving all now to connected cars and autonomous cars in the you know distant future 20 or 30 years down the road and how that is all going to work so i thought that was really an interesting idea how somebody could turn it off maybe try to hack it it that way but that's of course you know 20 or 30 years down the road it doesn't seem like it would happen right now yeah hopefully hopefully not that far but the, the last thing is uh, you know looking at what's happening in the computer world now, you've heard of ransomware attacks, oh, where sure. someone can have your personal PC and they encrypt all the files. Your computer is essentially unusable. Information is not available. And they said, hey, I want $50, $500. A, um, you know, institution in California just paid a $1.2 million ransom to get access back to information that was encrypted. So think of something very simple where uh, extortion is enabled by ransomware. What if you rendered the vehicle inoperable? or reduce the functionality. You know, how much would you pay to somebody if I said, hey, I just hacked in your car, it'll only go 20 miles an hour until you pay me $500? Yeah, no, that's that's it's a lot more than just getting into my car and making me upset about changing the automatic tire pressure gauge and giving me a false reading. Yeah, and so if you look <laughs> at uh, things like that, that's probably where it makes the most sense because you have to go back to motivation. I think you made some really good points. Just because something is theoretically possible you know, what's actually the, the likelihood of someone doing it? What's the motivation of someone spending the time and effort to do that? But, uh, you know, if you look at a, a ransomware analogy, which is happening now in computers and laptops, uh, being able to somehow uh, render your car inoperable and, you know, say, hey, click here and, you know, PayPal or Venmo, you know, 50 bucks and your car will start working again. You know, there's got to be some breakpoint 
where people are like, okay, hey, I'd rather just pay the 25 bucks or 50 bucks. If you can do that on a large enough scale, it could actually become a very lucrative business. Sure. So that's something where you want to make you know sure that you know, these connected cars are built as securely as possible. And so that's actually somebody hacking into the car itself. But as you said, you can also use your phone in connection with the car. So is it more realistic that somebody's going to hack into my phone that has connectivity to the car or hack into the actual physical vehicle? So there's different motivations for that. Uh, if I hack into your phone, that's essentially just me uh, getting your identity. And that's uh, so if it's a username or password, it's a matter of, of guessing or maybe social engineering your password. That's a, probably a lot easier to do. When you talk about actually uh, hacking into a, a car or the system used to control the cars, uh, then it becomes uh, much more technically difficult. You're actually uh, finding and exploiting vulnerabilities, which requires a very sophisticated attacker. It doesn't require a sophisticated attacker to just you know guess or somehow get your password. So very different levels uh, of sophistication in, involved in those two things. But I would expect most of the uh, problems to occur with attacker somehow, you know, guessing or getting the identity of an individual and coming in through an authorized uh, as an authorized user via a mobile app, as an example. So think of what happened with the uh, fapping a few years ago, where people uh, got explicit photos of different movie stars. Well, that wasn't anything that was really hacking. That was just people guessing uh, poor passwords. Of different movie stars and getting to their accounts and taking information as an authorized user. Interesting. We're talking with cybersecurity company uh, Critical Start founder and CEO Rob Davis. He is um, talking about how easy it is for someone to maybe hack into your car or at least get access to your car. And you were talking about how uh, it, it is it's targeted maybe at certain specific people. Do you think it's it's a widespread problem that we're going to have to worry about our cars? being hacked or is this more of a focused problem because i get those emails um for you know those spam emails that says hey we saw you doing something crazy in your house and you're gonna have to send us eight hundred dollars you know with bitcoin so could people be just spamming email and saying they hacked your car or actually have to prove that they hacked your car as well i think you'll definitely see people take advantage of the gullible uh, and just uh, same thing you recently we should just pay an email saying, hey, we know you've done something uh, bad. We have video of it. We're going to send it out to all your friends, even though it hasn't actually happened. But if you can get, you know, it's cheap to send an email. If you can get one person out of 100,000 to reply and send you $500, that's pretty worthwhile. So there, there could be uh, evidence of that. I think it's more difficult for someone to actually uh, capture video of doing something that's uh, illicit enough. It, it would result in people paying a, a ransom. That's, that's a lot of effort to, to probably pour through hundreds or thousands of hours of video in, in order to accommodate that. Um, but uh, something else to think about, you know, looking at ransomware, and there's, if you have the ability to impact uh, a large percentage of cars, they've actually like done studies in Manhattan, as an example, where if you could, uh, you know, basically stop, um, you know, 20% of the cars, it would gridlock the entire city. And so think about, you know, um, uh, attacker that's able to, act as a large percentage of cars, 20%, which would be very difficult to do, but you could actually gridlock an entire city and hold it ransom for maybe very, very large amounts of money. It could almost be the same vein as trying to uh, crack into, let's say, the DOT or a city's Department of Transportation where they have connected 
traffic lights and speed sensors and also that same ability if I was going to hack into the DOT and then I can stop all the traffic lights, keep traffic at a, at a standstill, or make all lights green and so people are crashing into each other, it could be just as chaotic. That's probably a, a better financial plan, so you might have a future in this. <laughs> okay, perfect. I'm always I'm an idea guy, Rob. That's what I am. I'm, I, I, I always give out my free ideas, and I only ask for 5% in return. All right. That's a deal. <laughs> so what can we do as, as car owners, as, as cell phone owners, to prevent this sort of thing from happening? Um, or does this need to be done on more of a corporate car maker level, uh, or do uh, do we have to get involved like with a company like yours that would then keep us safe? So it's a combination of, of all three things. Uh, so first of all, as an individual, as you have more connected cars, you're going to have an app on your phone. Because I have one on my phone. Uh, my phone is my key. I'd have to say the ease of use. I only carry around a phone. I don't carry around a key. It is very appealing. Actually, right now, I had a very minor fender bender. Uh, someone ran a stop sign and hit me. So my car is in the shop being repaired, and I, I have a you know normal gas car, um, small SUV, and I'm carrying around these like massive keys, and I got to carry around the keys and my phone. And you forget how inconvenient that is. So ease of use will always uh, drive a uh, very large adoption of that. So that will happen. And then on the user, it's very important to make sure that you pick uh, good passwords, and even probably more importantly is have a second factor of authentication. So, you know, not just a good password, but it's, you know, um, like a second factor, like a, a pen, uh, you know, biometrics using face ID or fingerprint, something uh, which keeps that account secure is very important. And that's the user's responsibility. It's not the manufacturer's fault if you uh, don't enable multi-factor authentication and use a poor password. For the uh, manufacturers, uh, you know, it, they have a very complex set of infrastructure. So not only do they have the cars themselves, which has a network inside, has a computer operating system, has multiple control units, millions of lines of code, different firmware. They have to do a, a really good job of uh, testing that whole system. And not just that system, but also there's a whole other set of infrastructure, computers and servers that are internet connected, uh, that connect to those cars and have information and data and allow certain things to happen. So they have to, uh, construct and make sure they monitor those systems, that they're secure. And when they do that, um, you know, they're going to use uh, third-party companies. Uh, like mine, uh, I've actually invested in a uh, company that does what you just talked about. I mean, their whole expertise is going through uh, all of this firmware and looking for vulnerabilities uh, in these electronic control units. So it's really going to be doing a good job with uh, all, all three areas. No, that's that's all pretty interesting because it seems like that um, when we're talking about you were mentioning uh, autonomous cars, and I've talked about with other autonomous car experts in the in in the past about how companies are going to be possibly liable if something happened, like in that. Um, not necessarily in the example, like you said, an overload where somebody then disables, goes into the car and then disables the safety method or safety uh, protocols for a car and then it crashes. Um, but that let's say I have a fully autonomous car, I'm driving down the road and I run over somebody or the car runs over somebody or runs off the road and, and then it kills me or whatever, that there's going to be some vulnerabilities there with the company that has all that software. So I think there still are some issues with 
at least autonomous cars, smart cars, and manufacturers, and how that all is going to play out in the future. Uh, absolutely. Well, you, you're going to have personal injury, property destruction, um, you know, uh, traffic problems that are going to be uh, consequences of both del- uh, potentially deliberate, hopefully not, and accidental uh, crashes. I mean, it happens now already with normal cars. Uh, you have, you know, airbags, you have, you know, gas pedals and brakes uh, that, um, you know, malfunction, have problems. And, you know, sadly, there's kind of tragic results to some of uh, these issues. And other times uh, there's recalls and you're going to have the, the same issues uh, with um, self-driving cars. There's going to be just sensors that malfunction, cameras that stop working, you know, LIDAR, radar uh, that, that breaks. So these things will happen just naturally because they're physical components and these things break. There's going to be problems with uh, software that's written, just like you have bugs in you know, programs using your computer, you're going to have bugs in cars that are going to cause problems. And uh, so you're going to see uh, a lot of uh, liability put on the manufacturer and insurance companies. But I think the structure is already there. It's, it's not like we haven't had, uh, you know, case law or legal experience with, you know, something, a mistake a manufacturer made in a car causing, you know, death or an accident or an injury. And we'll supply that same case law to these new situations. I'm speaking with Rob Davis. He is the CEO and founder of Critical Start, a cybersecurity company, about how easy or hard it might be for someone to hack into your car. We've talked a little bit about 5G. How revolutionary do you think 5G is going to be to the automotive world and get everybody's car connected in, in almost virtual real time so then we could then maybe go forward into truly autonomous cars? So, so 5G... Uh, um, I think in the short term, won't have a huge impact on enabling autonomous driving. I think it's going to really be uh, more focused on the on the car uh, initially. And there's various approaches to autonomous driving. Something how Tesla's approaching it versus how uh, Google, Waymo, and other people are approaching it. And we'll see uh, which of those ends up being successful. But uh, you know, 5G will open up. Um, you know, we look at. Uh, vehicle-to-vehicle communication, some of those protocols, the ability to get access to uh, very high-resolution res- high mapping data uh, more quickly. Um, as you have self-driving, think of the entertainment options. So when we do have self-driving cars, then people will just be sitting in their cars, you know, um, as a passenger. And so you're going to have, you know, tremendous demand for, you know, watching movies, uh, you know, playing, you know, first-person shooter games like you would in your Xbox. Uh, you know, that 5G will enable a whole host of services around, uh, you know, video communication, game playing, um, you know, consumption of entertainment in the same way that you would get in your household. You could almost play simulated racing games with the driver who is right next to, to you in the other lane. Yes. Uh, so that's, <laughs> you know, essentially you get to think then the function of cars almost change. It becomes more like a, you know, a bus where, you know, you're looking for ways to uh, make the, trip as pleasant as possible and as entertaining as possible. Is 5G any more secure than 4G or Wi-Fi? It is uh, not any more or less secure uh, than either of those. 5G is a very uh, lately developed protocol. They've done a good job with the security uh, on 5G. It's really about the devices connected to 5G um, that you want to make sure are secure in, in much the same way that you think if you have a, a, an iPhone that's 5G um, capable, then does is it, does it have a good p- password? Is the software on the iPhone secure? 
the same things will apply to cars being connected to 5G. You know, it still there's a mobile app, there's a car component. Uh, it's almost independent of it being connected via 5G. Although 5G would allow for more uh, real-time communication of an attacker with that car, obviously higher bandwidth and less lag time. And, and you, as a as a self-professed security geek, the, all all of this hacking and worrying about somebody getting into my systems is, is this something that you? Rob worries about? I mean, how high is this up on your concern list for you personally? It is uh, It is something, as we kind of talked about, it's theoretically possible. And so, so I work with a lot of uh, security people, uh, large, uh, you know, Fortune 500 companies, uh, some of which are uh, car manufacturers. And they are incredibly aware of, of the risk to them and the reputation if something happens to a connected car and there's kind of death, injury uh, that results uh, from that. So they're putting in tremendous effort. They're taking it very seriously and they're spending tremendous amounts of money and expertise to ensure that these cars are as uh, safe as possible because they want to avoid this. Um, you can imagine what would happen if you know a car major car manufacturer would be all over every news outlet that you know something happened because someone hacked a car. So they're uh, putting a lot of effort in in that. So I think it's something that is um, possible. Uh, it will probably happen at a limited scale, but I think you'll see a swift reaction to correct it. So I don't spend a, a lot of time, you know, worried about that. Because um, you know, Tesla, Toyota, you know, GM, Ford, uh, I think they're all spending the appropriate amount of time and effort to minimize the risk. Well, I hope you're also probably working on minimizing the risk for all of us as well. Rob Davis, the founder and CEO of Critical Start Cybersecurity Company. Thanks for joining me here on the Driving You Crazy podcast. All right. Thanks, Jason. Enjoyed it. I think the most interesting part of that interview was the thought of using a car as ransomware where somebody's going to hack into your car or your phone that controls your car. Uh, it can, they can then hold it hostage until you pay them a, a fee, whichever they think is reasonable, to then release it back to you, where you can only drive your car at maybe 10 miles an hour. You can't get in there because the doors are always permanently locked, or it won't ever start or uh, turn over, or they deflate the tires all the way to zero, whatever the, whatever, however they want to do the ransom. It's it's kind of like those, like I said in the interview, those emails that uh, come out and says, "Hey, we have." Uh, uh, well, no, I want to. It's a lot, lot. It's a lot like when um, a hacker will get into a, a company or into the state. They did this with the Department of Transportation here in Colorado, where some hacker got into the state um, DOT computer network and actually held their data ransom until they paid a huge fee. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's just it. This stuff's never going to happen to you and me, man, because they're not going to put this software on a Nissan Altima. They're only <laughs> going after Ferraris, Lamborghinis, Teslas, vehicles like that, where they know that the owners are likely six-figure income, things of that nature. Exactly. Yeah, they're not going after me. They're not going after my ring camera. They're not trying. Nobody's trying to hack into your baby cam and watch Elliot just, you know, do his thing. Uh, no. Nobody's <laughs> still going to no. do that for regular Joes like you and me. And you are technically well, but, a regular Joe. Thank you. The flip side of that, though, I mean, like you have the, the two approaches, right? You have people who are targeting very specifically and they're only going after like one, two, maybe five people. And they're, they're the ones who are targeting the high end because they just want to get their money and get out. But then you have the other ones who are scarier, who are just like, 
databases of cameras, right? I have access to 10,000 cameras and I'll just dip into whichever one I want if I need something, right? Or in the case of these hackers, just blanketing everybody with this terrible ransom software, most people are savvy enough to take it to a dealer and just get it taken off. But if they're charging a small fee, this guy's still going to make good bank by getting 10 or 15 of the thousand cars he infects to pay him up. And Rob was talking about maybe paying, let's say it was a regular Joe, paying 25 or 50 bucks. Well, I guess for me, that would be, or and maybe the average person, 25 or 50 bucks would be worth it. And they could make probably a lot more money doing that than charging me $800 to release my car. I I, I don't know a lot of average people that are going to say, yeah, I, I have $800 to release my car. They don't. Um, and so that, that I don't think they're going to get as much money. Uh, it, it's that whole uh, sales thing where if, if you drop the price, then you can get a lot more people. Now, I'm not, I'm not, not this is weird that I'm talking about this because it's like I'm, I'm talking about a discount shopping network for hacking your car. Right. But you have to think that that's the way that these folks are thinking about it, right? Is that, oh my, how many people can we convince to pay $50 in ransom if we infect their car? And, and that's just astounding to me that a hacker would go through the effort of hacking into your vehicle for $50. That speaks to how simple it is. Is, is there any indication that the car companies are going to catch up? and be ahead of these hackers or are we just no. kind of at their mercy because they're smarter than everybody? Yeah, no, they're, they're, they're always smarter than us. They're always looking at uh, what's next and uh, staying one step ahead. And that's why Rob says that his company is so busy because they're always trying to stay it ahead of what's next. But you know, even though it's possible, I, I, I don't think, I still don't think it's really probable. Maybe not until there's a bunch more smart cars or maybe we're all driving autonomous cars. I, I don't know. I, and not, I mean, it's it's not going to happen to you or me. I don't think so. Uh, well, listen, every car that's coming out now has some sort of smart technology in it. And most of them have a lot of smart technology in it. And that's really like up and down the market, right? That's every single yep. vehicle from Kia all the way up. So, yeah, I, th I, think it's, I think it's much more likely to happen to us in the future. Like 10 years from now, this is going to be a thing that's, again, to your point, not likely that it happens to you or I. The probability of it happening to you is low, but the occurrence of these things happening will go up. Maybe that's why I'm going to go in my next car is when I'm done with the Volt. Because the only thing it does automatically, and I said this in the interview, was uh, is that it will change the time for daylight saving time automatically. Uh, spring and fall. It will just automatically do that in the car. But that's about it. I have the OnStar, but that I let that lapse, so I'm really not connected via OnStar. Uh, maybe Onster is always connected and they can get into my car that way. But maybe I should go get one of these uh, older, like a Mazda Miata with a five-speed. So nobody's going to hack in. <laughs> Nobody will be able to drive it because they can't drive a stick. And it doesn't have any electronics that uh, can be hacked into. God, what an expensive hobby, though, man. Like fixing up those cars just gets more and more expensive the further away we get from the time when all the technology you were able to just fix in your backyard if you knew a thing or two. I always dreamt of having a 1961 Corvette. The one the, with the uh, like red with white on it, it would just be really yep. cool. Not going to hack into that thing. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> I mean, but the ones that are still running probably do have some. Well, no, you're not. No. The people who are running those things do not put smart technology in their car. By FM the way, radio only. It sounds like Elliot wants to be a part of the show. Elliot always wants to be a part of the show. Every single night side meeting, Elliot jumps in. So Elliot, Elliot is a big star in this household. Oh, perfect. Excellent. All right. So uh, how, are you surviving the quarantine, by the way? Uh, the quarantine's the, the quarantine has had a lot of silver linings for us. And the silver lining is that uh, we, we've been able to spend the first three months of my child's life basically at home with him. My wife has been able to work from home. 
I've been able to work from home. It's a lot more time than I would have been able to spend if it had been two weeks of paternity leave and back to 45, 50 hours a week at the office. Can't complain about that, man. No, Cannot that's pretty complain good. about that. That's pretty good. Well, it was nice to have you back on the show. We will uh, do this again, I think, next week as well. Yes? Yes. Roger yes. that. Bring Nicole, too, man. We'll make it a party. Oh, yes. <laughs> make it a party line? Uh, maybe we can do <laughs> yes, that on the sir. Zoom. I can do a party line on the Zoom, and we'll see how that works out. The driving you crazy party bus edition. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks again for listening. If you want to get a hold of the show, uh, you can always drop us an email, podcast at gmail.com, or you can always call the listener line, as we like to call it, 303-832-0217. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. I'm Joseph Peters, converted car enthusiast. <laughs> Be safe, and as always, happy motoring. Happy motoring.